Welcome to Artists of New England. This is a podcast created to inspire you on your journey of artistic expression. Whether you are a career artist, a teacher, an emerging artist, or hobbyist, you can learn and gain support from your peers. We will explore the symbiotic relationship between these groups, lending insight and empathy towards each other. We will discover the where, when, why, and how of the creative process of artists living and working in New England, with occasional bonus interviews with gallery owners, collectors of fine art, and art historians. Perhaps today's show will bring you the aha moment you've been waiting for. Welcome to Artists of New England with your host, Laura Casanari-King. I'm delighted today to have with me Christopher Volpe. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks, Laura. Good to be here. Yeah, it's very exciting to have you on. You're a prolific painter of the seacoast and a great art historian, so I'm sure our listeners will be thrilled to hear all these great things we're going to find out or try to. So <laughs> let's start with... Um, I always like to find out how you became a New Englander and then a bit of your art journey from childhood on. Okay. I'm from Long Island, New York originally. I was born in uh, Oyster Bay, raised in Oyster Bay anyway. And uh, I was um, on Long Island uh, doing journalism and decided that um, I was going to go to graduate school uh, for poetry. And I chose University of New Hampshire because I wanted to study with Charles Simic. So it was just a matter of where Charles Simic happened to be. I could, that brought you here. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Could have been it. in Minnesota and I'd be there now. Way to go, Charles. Okay, so, good. <laughs> um, so I had a great couple of years studying with um, Simic and uh, was on my way to becoming a poet. I thought I wanted to become a uh, published poet and have a university, cushy university job with lots of bennies, <laughs> uh, teaching kids how to write poetry. Um, but I incurred a whole bunch of loans coming up here from New York, so oh, yeah. um, I ended up taking a corporate job in public relations in um, around 2000 or so, I guess this is, or a little prior to 2000 or so. And um, I kept up my teaching at night because I felt like I needed to build a, uh, a resume for teaching because that was still my goal. I wanted to get, a, sure. to get published and get hired as a, a full-time poetry professor somewhere. Mm. Um, while I was teaching poetry and freshman writing at, at, at uh, Franklin Pierce College Extension in, um, in Portsmouth, actually, where we are now, I was asked to do an art history class. And it came out of the blue uh, during, a, during a winter break. Uh, I got a phone call from the dean, and he was kind of pleading with me, saying, wow. look, our, our, our just, just, art history guy just like left town. We don't think he's coming back. Serendipity. Um, and well, yeah, I was like... Okay, uh, you know, completely <laughs> unqualified. I, mean, I took an art history class when yeah. I was an yeah. undergrad, but like, you really want me to teach an art history class? But I was the only humanities guy they had, so yeah. I was stay a week ahead. You're good. Exactly what I did. You know? Yeah, and but then you fell in love. It grabbed I fell you. in love. Grabbed you in particular with American uh, painting, um, oh. lands American landscape painting in particular from the 19th century. Okay, which you know at that time that you know we're talking like 18 years ago wasn't as um, top of mind as it is now. I mean, since then, the uh, the MFAs added an American wing, um, the whole- Since and, then, okay, I, I didn't, so. I didn't I know so. that. About that time, they, wow. were, they were building it. And um, consciousness of the Hudson River School painters has really exploded over the, over the last 20 years, I'd say. Before mm -hmm. that, um, they, they were virtually ignored and they, their paintings were like in back rooms and basements and um, they couldn't, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it, I think it was just because American painting and art history was, American art history, historians, it was all sort of eclipsed by the spectacular painting of the 1950s, 40s, 50s, and okay. 60s okay, sure. in America. That's what everybody was interested in studying. And huh. so it took a while for the, that to kind of fade and like, for people to go back and say, oh my God, look at this vast treasure trove of wow. fantastic American painting. That's our heritage. And I've always been... A, it's the same thing happening with poetry. I've always been somebody who's in, who wants to know about the thing that they're not telling you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's something <laughs> hidden. Like, this can't be it. Yeah. Right? This yeah. can't be all. Oh, there's got to be more. Um, so when I was in high school, it was poetry. It was like, I suddenly I discovered Sylvia Plath and Dylan Thomas oh. and these, you know, um, Anne Sexton and all these amazing American poets. And I was like, why aren't I learning? Why aren't you yeah. teaching me this? Yeah. You know, same thing happened with this American art. I thought, 
what an idiot, like what idiots we are that we're not teaching this stuff in mm. high school mm. or earlier. This is our artistic heritage, but don't seem to care about that in America. So mm. anyway, yeah. um, just as I did with poetry, I wanted, I almost became a, an art historian because I had a passion for it. I felt like I need to tell the world about this. Mm -hmm. So um, I started um, teaching art history in various colleges and looking into PhDs in art history. And I thought, okay, I'll write poetry and be an art historian. But eventually, uh, I just started painting myself and um, just didn't, kind of didn't look back. That was just immediately what I started doing and wanted to do. And I dropped everything else and just painted, painted, painted. Mm. So that was um, 11 years ago. I know wait, because wait, wait. I know then. because that's when my how son was born. How did you just start? <laughs> how did you just start painting? What was the impetus that put a brush in your hand? Well, it was it was largely that um, that I was enamored with nineteenth-century American painting, like the the romantic landscapes. I was well versed in American literature from that time period. Yeah, uh, I would think all that. Grew up with Whitman and Emerson and Thoreau, and those guys were were you know really close to me, and close to what what formed me as a person and uh you know made me want to study literature and then um to find out that there's this whole corollary to the literature in visual art and yeah. there's a there's a conversation going yeah. between the you know it, it's about the divine in nature you've got the transcendentalists like emerson talking about that but then you have like martin johnson he and uh and church but even Bierstadt visualizing the divine in nature and so wow. I understood that. Yeah. And then, uh, and I don't, since I was, I wanted to be a poet, I'd always understood, I always kind of followed art a little bit, you know, just studied it on my own, went to museums, read books, because it was part of the history of thought, part, part of the history of Western creative practice. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I always kind of assumed that painting stopped with Jackson Pollock because I just didn't see what you could do. Really? After Jackson Pollock. Yeah. Like he seemed like the final. Uh, word in a long conversation that began like with the cave paintings went through the, you know to the renaissance and like super tight representation but then went all the way back around to primitive stuff through picasso and then to pollock where he eliminated the image and became a conduit for pure energy so, mm. what do you do with painting after that mm. you know i mean if it's warhol i don't want to really that's to me that's not really painting that's kind of like a i mean it is i would say it is painting now of course but to me then, mm -hmm. I thought that it stopped with Jackson Pollock. So when um, I was doing the art, I was starting to do the art history, uh, PhD stuff and stuff, um, I came across some, some American landscape painting by contemporary painters like Stuart Schills and Eric Aho in particular, these two guys, who seemed to me to combine that um, heritage of American, ex really expressive, romantic landscape painting, where it's all about you know, the color and, and awe and finding awe in nature and expressing that through painting, they seem to combine that with the abstract expressionism from the New York school and guys like Jackson Pollock and de Kooning and Klein, guys I kind of grew up seeing because being a New Yorker, I would spend time in the museums. I loved that work. Mm. I always just got it and loved it. Mm. Um, and so when I saw these paintings that seemed to me to combine these two things, it, it was like, wow, that's okay. I get it. You're you're like continuing an American tradition, but through yeah. abstraction, you're going beyond, you're just doing something different from what Pollock So that doing. gave you hope. That so I, I just immediately wanted to try it. Wow. Because it, it, it just, to me, it, <laughs> it didn't look like it was difficult either. It's just like it was just pushing color around. I always thought you had to like be able to draw perfectly before you could become an artist. Yeah. So and I, I never had any training in drawing. Yeah, but I mean, so. I've seen that side of your drawing and you can well, draw it takes a while. perfectly. Well, so well, so learned, don't be shy. <laughs> I kind of learned that you can, it's a skill that you almost yeah. anybody can learn if they're yeah. willing to be patient enough or if they're passionate enough about sure. it. Sure. You know, you pick, you pick up the skills you need as you go. But to, but the, just the enticing idea of pushing colors around to express something, to express a human feeling or a, uh, mm. a human state of mind through the colors of nature, mm -hmm. if not the actual imagery of nature. And in fact, my practice is to go between those, between mm -hmm. abstraction and imagery. But I saw that as just like poetry. Yeah. Like you're using, at the, you know, you're, you're, it's like you've got this intermediary between the self and the world. Yeah. And it's, either words that are taken from the world and that you're going to meet, or it's images and color and gesture that you're taking from the world and going out to meet. 
So I, I see painting, for me, painting is a lot like poetry. So it really wasn't a huge leap. Sure, sure. yeah, it's very interrelated. It's metaphoric. You have such a huge I don't, foundation. I'm not that interested in painting exactly what I see as so much as painting some, an idea or a feeling idea about what I see, which is what I was sure. doing as a poet. Yeah. That's what poets do. Yeah. yeah. They, they don't write yeah. prosaic descriptions because they're more interested in going to this place of interaction where the self gets lost with the object of perception yeah. And the the expression happens between the two somewhere. Yeah, interpretation. Very good. So, what artists uh, inspired you on your journey? Well, um, like I said, I always. How about loved... living? Let's go with living artists because I think you've covered yeah. some of your. Um, what did you do? Did you study with anybody? I did. I did when I um, when I was uh, just sort of getting interested in painting, I. Um, I became interested in, like I said, 19th century American painting and, and uh, George Innes and then the Tonalists. And I also discovered um, Dennis Sheehan's work at that time and was enamored of the feeling and the mood mm. in his work. And uh, I went and visited him when he had a studio in Manchester, New Hampshire, and uh, just hung out with him for a day. And he kind of just showed me what he did, like how he painted wow. and everything. Um, and we just had a great sort of rapport and conversation. And, and what did you uh, say to him? Like, I'm a new painter. I'm a poet, but I'm a new painter. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Like, I just want to. He's just nice, like, how huh? do you how do you do that? How do you do that? <laughs> and uh, I was wait, waiting for some you know yeah. abstract response, but he's like, well, you know, I just take some paint and I do this, and he just like started painting for me. And I was like, oh, oh wow. Okay. At that awesome. time, he was doing more wiping away. Stuff. Oh, yeah, he would, yeah. He'd paint the whole canvas. The bounty, yeah. And then get in with the bounty. Like what he does, what he does now, what he's been doing more often is to do a gestural abstract painting first, and then to pull the landscape out of that. Mm. In the old days, when I first started studying him or hung out with him, he had the whole canvas painted a single dark color, and just oh. went in and began removing paint. Okay. With yeah. the paper towel. Cool. So that was fascinating to me that wow. you could do that. I bet. Yeah. And, uh, so anyone else after that? Did you? Um, like I said, I could, well, I got a chance to study with uh, Stuart Schills and Eric Aho, my heroes. Okay. Um, and uh, in the same year too, and that was just an amazing uh, kind of watershed year. Yeah. So it was like you were new to this. Was all new. Yeah. 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 Wow, that's amazing. So at this point, were you just um, still pursuing the art history? Yeah, and I, I was thinking I'm just going to dabble with painting, or did you well, ever have a thought of wow, would I love to just jump off? Well, he, here's the, the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I it, it's, it's it's kind of complicated, but it's also sort of simple. Like first, um, I was lucky that my wife Anna had a studio in one of the mill buildings um, around here in Rollinsford at the time, and uh, she. Ed sort of invited me to just put up some paintings one day during an open studio just to see what would happen because I'd done like, I don't know, maybe 10 or something paintings by then. Wow. And so <laughs> I, just, I just went for it. I was like, all right, really? And people really liked them. Wow. And it was immediate feedback, positive yeah. feedback. Yeah. And that's so different from yeah. what you get as a writer. Yeah. Oh. As a writer, <laughs> you're working in isolation and you type these things out, right. print them out, you put them in a little envelope send it out you wait months for a reply whether it's yes or no unless you send it to mom but go ahead <laughs> you finally get a letter yeah. that says no he didn't like it but try us again yeah. you know yeah. and then so you try them again and two years have gone by and they accept the poem and it comes out in some obscure journal in yeah. uh, you know tennessee or something and that's it and you get enough of those together and you can get a book and maybe you can hmm. go on a tour and yeah read to people. That's a really good point about this the was immediate, immediate feedback. feedback. Because they're telling you what, Boom. they can tell you what they like about they're it right without there. saying something about maybe what they don't like, but they can tell you what they like, right? Right. right. I'm just standing right in front of you. You can see the reaction. I used yeah. to, I used to like, you know, be anonymous and just like try to try to <laughs> eavesdrop on what they were saying because I was like fascinated. Like, oh my God, they're talking about my baby. I can't believe it. <laughs> you know? I love it. So, That's awesome. So I fell in love with that immediacy of that yeah. too. And so what? at what point did you like hatch the maybe I could just go with Oh, this? well, Still it, a while? it was a combination of, of me just hatching it, like you say, but also of uh, 
circumstances like forcing me to do it. Oh, okay. Because yeah. uh, I had this job at the University of New Hampshire um, in a communica communications capacity. And uh, I was teaching part-time at uh, two different schools, doing art history at um, the um, Chester College of New England, mm -hmm. which doesn't exist anymore, and the uh, New Hampshire Institute of Art in Manchester. And uh, I talked to, I, I, I made it known to the people at Chester that I wanted to become full-time, or at least you know, part-time or something, that I was gonna get a PhD, you know, could you hire me? You know? And they gave me a half-time position and I was thrilled because I didn't get any benefits, but it was a lot more money than just being an adjunct and getting paid by class. Mm -hmm. Something like, you know, you get like $1,800 a class for months yeah, of work. Like and it's an yeah. incredible amount of work. Sure. And so this was like, I don't know, 28000 or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. But I was like, psyched, because I didn't have to teach any more classes and I'm getting a lot more money. I was like, great, I can now quit my professional job teach part-time at this college and continue selling paintings. My mm -hmm. life's going to be great. So I quit. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next semester came no, don't around. Don't say it. Don't and, say it. And I was and they're like, so have you thought about no, what, I know where it's what, going. A, what adjunct classes you want to teach this year? <laughs> I said, what? I thought I had a part-time oh, position. They're like, oh, oh. no, no, no. That's just something we do. We give that out to the adjuncts, <laughs> so though. That's like a perk, you that's know? That's awful. Someone else has got it this semester. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I quit my job. <laughs> so, wow. Sink or swim. So what did so you do? So I just... I realized you said this is the sign. This is it. I have to make. I just have to make more paintings. Got to yeah. make a lot of paintings yeah. to sell them. Yeah. By then, I was in. I was in a couple galleries. Oh. I was in Kennedy Gallery. Oh, we because, skipped all that. So how did well, we get they, there? That was. Very did you early go in, on. or did nope, they, they find they, you? They came into Anna's studio wow. in the building and um, just asked me to just nice. show them some paintings. Yeah. So that. Um, so I had a little market, you know, there, and cool. so I, uh, um, I, I sort of did the math, and I realized that well, if for the time I'm spending teaching hmm. versus how long it takes to, to paint, um, I think I can make a lot more money hmm. making paintings if I can sell them mm -hmm. than I ever could here at this, you know. College. So you started out with the concept of just being an artist and selling your works. At what point did you decide teaching as a, as a painter? Well, I never stopped teaching. Oh. I, oh. ever since even undergraduate, I, I used to like do some guest teaching stuff in some of my my classes, okay. but you know at UNH I was um, uh, I was teaching English the whole time, and I just never stopped teaching English. Okay, all whatever professional jobs I had, I was always doing night classes at colleges at UNH and other yeah. places. And I I like academia. I like I yeah. mean I don't like the environment of academia, but I like the stimulation of yeah. of academia, um, yeah. the challenge um, of absorbing knowledge and then going up and you know, mm -hmm. and trying to impart it and make it interesting and exciting. And it's, um, so it was a natural transition from teaching in, you know, colleges to just being able to teach what I, the way I do now, which is, right. you know, just out of my studio doing workshops and yeah. private classes. So tell me, what did your family and friends think when you were giving up academia for the life of the artist <laughs> which has a lot it's all well my, my parents are used to me doing things that yeah. they don't approve of okay you know? so, <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't know if that's really the right way but you know they, they never you know, really expected me to really suddenly settle down into a conventional life i think i've always been kind of the mm. kind of my mom as my mother would say you always march to the beat of a different drummer <laughs> I'm still doing that. So they weren't overly surprised. Okay. And, and in fact, my, my, it turns out that my mother's brother was, and his wife were both artists. They were both painters, oh. which I really wasn't too okay. cognizant of, wow. but they went to art. They met in art school. Oh, actually. wow. That's cool. And, uh, well, wow. my, my uncle ran a small, like hometown newspaper, um, for money. He and his wife were just constantly painting and selling paintings out of their house. Wow. So it really shouldn't have shocked them. Back in the day, yeah. That's very cool. So as you developed um, and began to, obviously one kind of went to the wayside. You, you don't really teach anymore at universities. No, uh, no. Um, although I taught at Montserrat College uh, last summer. For art? Yeah. Okay. I taught art. Um, that was the first time I taught painting Yeah. in the college. Okay. Uh, and it was fun. Wow. I'm hoping to do more of that. And cool. I do teach at, every year I teach at Castle Hill, 
um, Center for the Arts in Truro, Mass, mm, which is okay, a wonderful right. arts mm. center. Um, and that's, in fact, where I studied with um, um, Stuart Schills. And I just have had a wonderful relationship with them. It's been like five years now, or six years, where I've, I, I paint there every, I teach mm. there every year. Cool. What What are the most influential influential books? The Art Spirit by I, Robert I, I, I mean, this is the Bible. I saw I, yours. It's like worn to shreds. So. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, I've had that since I was in high school. Yeah. Oh, years you're before kidding. I dreamt of painting. What? Because. That's crazy. It's like Walt Whitman. It's he's He loves Walt Whitman. He talks about Walt Whitman. He does. But yeah. he's coming from that same place of ecstatic living and yeah. like heightened consciousness. Yeah. That that's what, to him, that's what art is about. He's art. He's. Robert Henry says that art is the inevitable outcome of a life lived fully yeah. in the moment with yeah. passion and excitement yeah. and all the doors of perception open. Yeah. And that's what Whitman was saying too, yeah. in a different way. So it totally struck a chord with me when I was when I was. Oh, how'd you was, find it? How'd you find I, it? It's just I used you know I used to spend a lot of time in used bookstores. Yeah. And, okay. <laughs> you know, and I would go to the art section too. Yeah. Even then, you know, I was yeah. interested. So I'd, I'd find wow. stuff like that. So that's the number one book. That's um, very cool. Of course, the. Um, I guess I also like uh, Charles Hawthorne on painting. That slim little volume. I just got that. A lot of great that. advice in that. I just got that. Yeah, it advice. is very slim. <laughs> it, but it's good. You know, just little nuggets in there. Like yeah. make lots of starts. That's yeah. actually a brilliant advice. You know, don't labor over a single painting yeah. trying to get it perfect. Just move on to the next one. Mm. Yeah. Because I find that you know the to to some degree every painting is like sort of lives or dies in the first 20 minutes yeah. of its making, right? Yeah. Like if you don't have it, if you don't have the abstract under underpinning, yeah. like into this, into something exciting and dynamic at the very start, you know, no degree of, of fuss or fixing or, or even color manipulation is gonna save it in the end. It all matters in the beginning and from the beginning. So I like, I love that idea of just making lots of starts. Hmm. You know? Don't spend a lot of time trying to save a drowning man. <laughs> yeah, Pamela, <laughs> Pamela DeLong Williams just told me this the other day. I thought it was great. She said, it's easier to give birth than it is to resurrect the dead. <laughs> oh, there you go. Nice. And I, I said, like well, I do, right? Keep giving birth. Just, you know, yes. if you can't resurrect that dead thing, <laughs> give birth. It's painful, but do it. Right. So, um, this is great. Can you talk about your process a bit? How do you find yeah. inspiration? Does it come from your head, from outside, from pictures, from photos, from still life? From yeah, it comes from all those things. I had great advice early on from a friend who said, just keep looking, painting, and thinking. Hmm. And I, I just, that's it. I mean, looking, look at paintings. Go and see paintings. Go to the shows. Look online. See, but also look at the world. Yeah. Use painting to look in ways you've never looked before. Yeah, and did that happen to you? I know. Um, I think at one point sure. that you've mentioned to me a while ago that you, when you were growing up, you spent a lot of time as a child in the forest, in the woods. Yeah, in the woods, but also on the seashore, seashore. on the on, well, on the bay. Yeah, in Oyster Bay. Yeah, all kinds and, of. And and when you got into the art, did you start seeing things very differently? Like, oh, never saw that before. Well, quite literally, I remember one day I was at the. Uh, the Courier Museum, and they have a lovely Corot there. And I was studying the Corot for an extended period of time. And when I was driving away from the museum, I started seeing those mauve, like purple and wow. green and stuff that he puts in in the trees. I was like, oh my God, it's, <laughs> I, my perception has been altered. altered I'm seeing forever. differently. So I that's an example it. of like okay, that's good. literally seeing differently. But, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> the day you discover that there are like 3,000 you know, shades of green outside instead of just one. It's like, <laughs> yeah, and it never stops. You know, you're you're always learning to see. Yeah. So um, how do you start a painting? And you're always, and I'm always thinking too. I'm always thinking, why am I painting? That's a good question. Why do you paint? Why do you paint? Why? Like, I think artists paint because they have a, a deep wound that they're trying to heal. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> and through doing it in public, wow, they, you just stuck a knife through me. The world's wound. Yeah, I think we do. do. We feel, well, it's like poets. Poets feel, <laughs> right? I, poets feel differently. We feel the world. They feel the world. Yeah, them. but I don't, I don't think anybody really knows why they do it. But um, that was really That's good. my pretentious answer that to that. That was very good. <laughs>
bizarre question. <laughs> okay, so how do you start a painting? Come on, how do you do it? What do you do? Well, it depends. I mean, I, you know, painting from life is a great thing, and I still mm -hmm. do that all the time. I go out there and paint from life. Um, and when you, when I'm painting from life, I mean, there's so many ways to start a painting. Mm. Um, pick the pick the perf pick, pick the one color that excites you. Pick the you know the fall of the, the the way the light is falling that you know makes you whatever it is that makes you want to paint that scene just start painting that and painting your paint your feeling about it that's yeah. the ideal so in 15 minutes it's not going what do you do um probably uh get out the knife and if i'm using <laughs> but, get out the knife and if the that knife. doesn't work scrape it away i love it start over I love it. but i start paintings in all kinds of ways yeah, I mean, you do. I like to start paintings so. with um the way dennis does with just like gestural brushstrokes. Mm -hmm. um, I like to... I, I mean, do you come to a painting and say, I'm painting this? Yeah. Or sometimes you just oh, throw often. paint up and say, what's this going to be? I've done that, but it's not as successful for me as as having a having a destination. Okay. But a destination that I'm not wedded to. Okay. And yeah. I think that's what works for me. It's like, okay. I'm going to be painting... I know I'm going to be painting a seascape. It'll probably be dusk, so I'm getting out the purple. Mm -hmm. But... I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Here comes the sun. I don't know yeah. how many clouds there are. <laughs> right. Maybe it's going to be suddenly be winter. Okay. I, you know. That's cool. So having a, having a destination, you know, having a goal, but then being flexible enough to, to listen to the painting. Yeah. I do a lot of, so I feel like I'm interacting with the painting a lot. I don't, I'm not a kind of painter who starts with a conception, mm -hmm. makes a sketch, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. goes from there. A much more uh, improvisational, I guess, which is how I was as a poet, how I am as a Musician too. I mean, I'm not a musician, but I play the guitar, and I, I love um, soloing on the guitar. And I feel like painting is the same thing. Sometimes it's like you put a note out there, and it suggests the next note. Mm -hmm. And I do that with you know, put a note of color out there, and yeah. it suggests the next mark after that. Mm. Good, good answer. Okay, talk about some of the um, uh, series that you have done. You've done a lot of series. I just started doing series in the last few years, and it's. It really feels like what was the first one? like I'm grounded now. Whereas before, oh. as a painter, I, I didn't think I was. I was really just exploring a lot oh, cool. of different okay. styles and ways of painting. Um, now I feel like I've got. I like. I'm somebody who likes to have a project. You know, yeah. something to work on. It gets me there because I tend to just kind of drift around a lot. I get. I go after the next shiny thing. Like, yeah. oh, look at how this guy yeah, in England is painting. Old. I want to do that. <laughs> you know, so. It's yeah. nice to have so settled into some, a good word. Like some grounding uh, habits of like, yeah, like, I think it comes out of continually asking that question of why am I painting too? Why am I doing this? What's mm -hmm. my goal? Mm -hmm. Is it just so that people will like me because they, because I can make a pretty thing and that feels good? That can't be enough. That can't be it. Mm -hmm. That can't mm -hmm. be it. Mm -hmm. um, so having series uh, that you're working on helps you helps you really get down into uh, a something that you can really explore okay. uh, which means getting more of yourself into it um, I could started to do this even when I would, was doing a doing plein air painting in a, in a set location for a given period of time like I go out to Star Island let's say for a week or five days or something and I'm the first day I paint what I see and then the next day I paint what I see plus a little bit more and then, okay. then the next day, it's incumbent on me to do something else, yeah. right? Because I've just painted what I've seen. Why would I do that again? Yeah. So now it's then it gets really creative for me. Okay. So then you, then, mm -hmm. then I'm exploring like, what am I drawn to in these rocks? Why do I like coming out here? What is it? It's it's the elemental nature of it. It's that there's just rocks and air and salt and mm -hmm. sea, and that's it. And how do I get that feeling across? You know, mm -hmm. so you start to really get more deeper down into into a yeah. subject so so it's a shorter series if you were out there for a week right, right. so um right but now as as you as you mentioned i've got a couple um longer term series going yeah. um i have a series called loomings which is uh based on moby dick and uses basically uses uh i'm using tar to paint it tar oil paint and gold leaf and i'm using moby dick I'm not trying to illustrate Moby Dick. I'm just using it as a kind of cautionary tale for um, America's exploitation of natural resources. Mm -hmm. So the tar is a signifier for 
fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Whale oil was the first oil that um, literally greased the wheels of the Industrial Revolution mm -hmm. and was supplanted by petroleum oil, discovery of it in 1859, which has now brought us to the present state of um, where we're actually threatening our own survival yeah. on the planet. So these are darkish paintings, um, but I wouldn't say they're not gloomy. They're, there's something lyrical about them. Like I, yeah. I, I could just be piling on the tar, you know, and making these sort of ugly brutalist works and commenting on like how we've screwed up the planet, but it's just not me. Mm -hmm. So there's more of a lyricism to it. There's a, I like to, I mean, I, I can't get away from beauty, I guess, yeah. you know, yeah. so I'm kind of, I'm antiquated in that sense, but dinosaur in that sense, but, um, so each, each painting has a title that relates to Moby Dick and that suggests, uh, these sort of darker overtones of American history, uh, for the time or period we're in now. And I've done about 25 of these paintings and they're I'm, pretty big. Some of them are big, yeah, uh, 48 by 60, I guess, it's the largest couple of them. It's mm. quite, actually, yeah, a number of them are, are that big. Um, and where are they? Where are they hitting? I've got a, uh, I just closed out a show of them in Provincetown. And Was that the New Bedford? No, no. Um, oh, one no, of them, no. yeah, I had, I had like three of them, I guess, were in a, uh, at the New Bedford Art oh, Museum okay. uh, in a, um, a group show there last summer, um, and I had a, a little... Uh, I had a two-person show of them in Provincetown in okay. July, okay. and I have a, a solo show of them in Boston in September oh. at um, a gallery called Matter and Light, which is in oh, the SOA How many do you Soa have district. going in there? Um, probably about 10 of them. Look, but for I, the whole month of September? Uh, should be, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I, I've sold a bunch of them amazingly because <laughs> I you, you know, know who wants to buy tar but. in a way it is amazing because I mean you say they're not gloomy but I did see the show I went over yeah. to the library there I forget where it was so I was on my mm -hmm. way home from an excursion but and I was the only one there I walked in and there were some of your big ones there and they were just I mean they're breathtaking and I, you're right. I guess I wouldn't call them gloomy, but in a way, but they're melancholy. Very melancholy, yeah. And just, I mean, I just was so drawn. My son was in the car texting, "Are you coming out soon?" And I was like, "Yeah." So I mean, you there's know, melancholy and there's foreboding. And, foreboding. I mean, that's is, that's the word. That's why Thank you know, you. and that's why the title that's the word. Is, you know, so that's who the wants to buy that though? I mean, but who I mean, wants to think gorgeous. about looming threats, right? But <laughs> but yeah, they are. I've sold, I, I have sold like half of them. So already, are these great. mariners? I'm interested to know who's no, buying. no, seriously, no. because the, I they're mean, no. just regular people. I have just I have a collector in Minnesota, wow, or Michigan, maybe Michigan, who's bought like 13 of them. Wow, it's amazing. That's so awesome. It, it seems like that's awesome. They're not for everybody, and they don't appeal to everybody. And a lot of people, even my family, they're like, "You're doing what? What?" And then well, they know, change the subject. <laughs> but um, you'll get that dog soon, Uncle Bobby. I swear. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> then the people who do like them really like them. There's yeah. a very yeah. small subset of people, but they yeah. get them and they really like them. So yeah. I guess that's what do you, good. What do you do with people that don't get your work? Um, or people that actually say yeah. to you, like, what the? You know? I don't know. Just do my best to. Yeah. I mean, does it ever get to you? Or is it just this is coming out and this series is being born because it has to that's be? The, that's kind of why I really like doing the series, too, is because you get more confident in your work than okay. at least I do. Because it's all it's all trying to transmit a single idea mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. a spectrum. Okay. You know, yeah, sure. Various facets. Whereas if you're. If you're painting, you know, in this style and then trying in that style, that's great for learning, you know, but you're, but you might not be saying the same thing through the paintings mm -hmm. or maybe saying anything sometimes. It's more about just learning a technique, yeah. you know, which is, which is fine. But then you hit upon a vein, you know, that you need to mine because it's, it's deep. Yeah. I mean, by that, I mean, like, I feel like I'm saying whatever I'm saying, it's what I've been thinking since I was a teenager. It's what I was trying to yeah. say in my poetry. Yeah. Was why I was walking alone on the beach yeah. at sixteen, you know. Mm. It's it's the same mm. it's the same thing. Only and, and I really love this series because it brings together my literary background. 
yeah. with my painting. And, and to go back to an earlier part of the conversation, I'm doing a lot of these paintings through the subtractive method, which I learned yeah. really early on from yeah. Dennis Sheehan. Yeah, but how do you his, subtract tar? Oh, just same way you would with oils. Really? Yeah, it okay. responds. It just like, sounds so messy. It, it's sticky, but <laughs> and it's smelly, yeah, but yeah. it um, it responds to terps really. How does it set? Does it melt in it sun or does heat? melt? Oh yeah. my gosh! <laughs> Did you tell yeah. your buyers this? Well, yeah. no, I've had to I've had to experiment with like different dryers that and ways of uh, fixing it. Yeah, okay. I'm still oh, that's interesting. Still figuring that out, but I've I've recently got a I've gotten hip to this stuff you can get called um, bitumen, um, ah. stain. It's like a, uh, varnish, bitumen varnish. Okay. And it's got some insane, like ether, like, um, uh, solvent in it so that it dries like very quickly. Okay. So I'm mixing that with this industrial tar that I get oh, at Home Depot into it. <laughs> and I'm mixing up dryers and this stuff. But what do you tell them at Home Depot? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be in a museum, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it, it's better than spending, you know, $14 for a gallon of like roofing tar. It's beats a you know, oh $60. Gosh. So you have to figure out the dollars. mix to yeah, so make that's it a, flow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Well, the, the, what I love about it is with the subtractive part is that it starts with, you know, you get this black, you know, mirror-like finish, but then you wipe it away and there's this beautiful sepia-like tonality that it gets. Wow. This this tobacco browns and kind of looks like old photographs like tin yeah, types yeah, and yeah. plays into like sort of the 19th century aspect of it whaling there's a lot of like clipper type ships in it but a couple of the ships i've tried to make them look also like oil tankers so i'm oh. trying to make trying to if they're in the distance they're okay. vague i don't think i've, I've seen looked them. at pictures of oil okay, tankers yeah, yeah. i've looked at pictures of whalers and i've tried to kind of yeah melt together ah, a little bit. and there's also an affinity between the rigging on ships and the the derricks, all of the, you know, like scaffolding of those antique derricks. I haven't really fully even explored that yet. But no. mm, cool. So tell me about this nature mort because I saw this on Facebook and I was like, what's happening? Yeah. Here? So that's another series of tar paintings that came out of this. Those are this tar. One. They are tar. Oh, I didn't. I guess I didn't yeah. realize. Do some of them have color? Not much. They, oh, oh, okay. Maybe a touch or two of, uh, like some Mars red or Mars violet or a little bit of green here and there, but mostly it's okay. just, it's just titanium white and tar. Um, and they're still lifes. Um, nature mort is the French term for still life, mm. which literally means, I guess, you know, dead nature. So, mm. um, still as you can be. So I'm doing these somewhat traditional looking, uh, floral okay. still lifes, but they're in tar and I'm trying to do something similar. I'm trying to make a similar statement about climate change. Okay. Um, through. Those are very eerie. That word. That's Good. a word I will Thanks. put on there. Those Good. are very eerie. I hope so. Very foreboding. The word you used earlier when I saw them, I was like, ah, this is where our nature's going. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that one to me, you know, spoke to me a little louder than mm -hmm. the loomings, but. Um, I just feel like it, yeah, I, I, I've learned so much about climate change over the last year. Yeah. I mean, I was never a political, that political a person until like 2016. Yeah. Um, but yeah. since then, like I've even stopped paying attention to what Trump's doing to a certain extent to watch what's going on to the globe, what's happening with the globe, because um, yeah. it's really uh, scary and serious. The it science is. is irrefutable and we're not getting um, a half of it right. through like regular news channels, as right. far as I can tell. Right. I agree. Uh, it's, it's a lot scarier than a lot of scientists are willing to say publicly. Yeah. Um, and it's the most single most important um, and serious, you know, issue right. of our time. And so I felt, I feel, I couldn't just go on painting landscapes, I couldn't, you know, interacting with nature. Because I feel like when you're painting a landscape, you're automatically rehearsing the relationship of humanity to nature in some extent. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, go if you're going in a, a sort of plein air, neo-impressionist direction, you're still rehearsing a relationship with nature. You're glorifying it. You're finding the beauty in it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, um, which, which is great, you know, and there's a place for that, but it was not for me. 
because I just, I don't know, I'm a pessimist. I always had this kind of... <laughs> this dark, I see the cloud. Somewhat dark, yeah. I mean, I, I was a big Camus fan um, in high school. Well, no, I, see, I, say? I think some people are meant to do that. It's their calling in life, and I think you've done a great job with it. And I, how do you handle, though? There must be a heavy side to it. A heavy side, what do you mean? Of carrying, that's a, I mean, it is. It's oh, a heavy, yeah. a it heavy thing to carry for the world and to try to, <laughs> no, I mean it. I don't mean it in a yeah. funny way. Well, I mean, I, I can't I, I mean, consider myself carrying something for the world. Well, you, I know well, what you you're mean. internalizing it and then you're putting yeah, it out there. That's right. That's right. So you're a conduit, but it's, yeah, it's got to be. But it's something that everybody has to deal with yeah. in their own way anyway. Yeah. And the more I've thought about it and written about it on my own, just writing, you know, I, I journal about it and stuff. I've come to see it as like, it basically has to do with how you feel about mortality in mm. general anyway, mm -hmm. right? Because it's, it's an ending, either of you or everything. Ultimately, it's going to be of you in one way or another. So it's like, however you deal with death is how you deal with the notion of climate change in a way. Mm. You either don't think about it mm. or you do your best to look it in the face and accept it or it makes you value your time all the more mm. for you know its brevity yeah. i don't know uh, when did you start having these thoughts i mean were you young like walking the beach thinking these things i'm on a couch or something i know i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i just started having to, these violent thoughts I, when i was <laughs> yeah no, no I because just, i mean some like i was i was that kind of super contemplated kid i was walking the beach when i was 15 and thinking these thoughts so yeah. i'm just wondering yeah well it's just i don't know i just always had these, these you know, gloomy thoughts about how yeah. it was always I, one of those people always felt like i never got over the feeling that there's something really wrong with the way society's set up mm -hmm. i don't know a lot of us feel that and as teenagers we seem to see through the bullshit yeah but then we just accept it or we just go on with life life gets scary you've got to you get college, you got to feed people at jobs and, you know, so you just live life and yeah. you find ways of enjoying it. Yeah. Um, but I've never really, you know, um, I've never reconciled myself to the, you know, beyond those like rebellious thoughts you have as a teenager. Like I still have those thoughts. I still distrust <laughs> authority. I still, you know, I, uh, you know, I, the man, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, uh, yeah. and it, it just feels like, a confirmation of what I've always sort of suspected that human Western, I mean, Western industrial civilization is a bad idea. Mm. At least the way we've gone about it. Mm. Look what it's doing. Look what it's doing. Look at the, in, the untold suffering yeah. around the world so mm. that you and I can have a cell phone and mm. the internet. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's not going to last. Yeah. It can't, you can't have infinite growth on a, a with finite resources and that's what you know that's what corporate capitalism demands yeah. infinite growth yeah wow thank you know. thank you for doing your part yeah no it's wonderful i i mean so what defines success for you as an artist um well i'd like to you know be idealistic and say uh you know Tell the truth. We don't but, care. But, you know, you've got to put food on the table. You're yeah, right. Like, you can't sell your work. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's very hard to 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 produce in, you know, total poverty, I think. I don't know. I don't know. So I, success to me is balanced between, yeah. you know, being able to uh, support myself and my family as an artist with my with Anna also working. Um, and she's an art. Anna's an artist as well. She's an artist. Okay. She's a writer. And yeah. she teaches art and works um, at an art center near our house, mm -hmm. uh, doing marketing and, and teaching classes. Mm -hmm. um, and between us, um, we're able to make ends meet. Uh, but I, I, I do. I also feel like I'm not afraid to say that that it feels. I feel more like an artist to myself, more successful as an artist now that I have a project that I fully believe in, that mm -hmm. I want to get behind. Yeah. You know, that I want to get up and work on. Yeah. And it's that's led to other things too. Right. Right. I have in mind a, another series in which I, I'd like to go to some of the locations that the White Mountain painters treated so beautifully in those mm. 19th century paintings. But I, I like to paint them through the lens of 21st century dread. Um, mm. I don't, not necessarily dread, but 
with the knowledge that it's a different world now. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to paint those paintings the way yeah. those guys did it. Yeah. yeah. No finite beauty, but adding the finite. Okay, so, um, shoot, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, what's your greatest fear? In or out of the studio? <laughs> All right. <laughs> not on the list. Yeah. Um, being pecked to death by seagulls while painting on Star Where? Island. Where? Oh, Star Island? Yeah, on Star Island. <laughs> this happened to me. Because I, what happened? <laughs> I was, no. I, yeah, I was about just, just... They said, there's a tar guy. Just about a month ago. <laughs> I was out on Star Island. I know to watch out for the gulls because they they nest, right? And they have oh. chicks. And the mothers get very protective oh, of the chicks. Oh. And usually they just they let you know that they're worried that you're there. They, they squawk and yell. Oh. And then they might even start, you know, circling above you until you get the heck out of there. Oh. And usually that, you know, it's not a problem. It's like, okay, I'm moving. I'm out of here. And so I wasn't even that close to the seagull, okay? I was like 50 feet away, I would think, from the thing. <laughs> and I saw it, and it was starting to squawk at me. And I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. I'll walk this way. And so I turned around to walk away. Next thing I know, I feel like somebody punched me in the back of the head with brass knuckles. Have you ever been whacked in the head by a seagull? <laughs> They're heavy. It hurts. Oh my god! Right with the beak, right in the back of my oh head. Oh my god! Put a hole in my hat. <gasps> no way. Drew blood. No, sir. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. That is a legitimate so, I'm fear. I'm traumatized now. I can't go out there so, without looking around my back all the time that I'm going to get whacked by a seagull. Wow, that's something. I'm afraid of seagulls now. I don't. I used like to love them. them. They were beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Brutes. That's crazy. Tell me a little bit about, um, I'm just interested, your Wentworth paintings and how that happened. You had that commission a couple of years ago and then yeah, the installation. Really lucky. How Look, is it to do a commission like that? Oh, it was. That was a lot of painting. It was a lot of work, yeah. And, and did they like say, we want this, this, and this? Or did they kind of give you, let you off the leash? And... It was interesting. The way, it, the way it happened was that I had a couple of paintings in the window at Kennedy. Ah. And the designers came from there. It's a boutique design interior design firm from Vermont were in town walking around and they saw the paintings and um, got in touch with me and said, would you like, you know, would you, we, we wondered if you could do something like you did in, on those paintings um, for a hotel. Just do, I think they wanted three paintings. At the time. Yeah. You did more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they gave me swaths of fabric. Oh. You know, this is like a month later after we okay. had a conversation or so. Yeah. I got these and th those were the colors and I didn't have a problem with that because they were largely colors I would use anyway yeah so I had no idea what to do for them so I did a whole bunch of um, I did just kind of blasted them with studies I did like okay 10 or 12 studies and they were all on like canvas paper 11 by 14 pieces of canvas paper and I put them all in a uh, PDF and I said here you go you can just choose which ones you like out of there and we'll go from there and they liked six of them <laughs> instead of just three of them so the initial commission for three turned into six yeah. right away uh which which was amazing i found out later that they chose the colors they did based on the paintings that they'd seen of me <laughs> so it was lucky like a you weird, like i was painting my own color win they there. told me to paint it oh that's it was, funny. anyway but yeah it was a, it was a fantastic um project i mean it was um i'd never painted so large yeah oh like, really like 40 by 60 but that was as big as i painted and i didn't even know if i could do it um i i, I bought the best linen you could get yeah know, like 400 dollars a canvas um i mean did they give you a price i mean did they say yeah. what's your price or yeah, did they yeah. just say no just no we, the we negotiated the price <laughs> we negotiated the price okay um i kind of as i sort of like tried to get what their budget was yeah yeah um I did research and looked online. What do people usually get for things like this? Because I had never done anything like that. Wow. And, uh, so just pitched them, I think, a good deal. Uh, you know, they went for it. Because I figured they're buying six of them, you know, so you can't charge them like $5,000 a piece. Yeah. But they're big paintings. Um, so I had, I had to sort of pick a package deal price, and it worked. Um, and um, the, the wild thing was that during the course of that, we learned that they also wanted to have prints in all the rooms mm. and they were going to be going out to uh, they were taking bids for the prints from like print companies and so I asked if they would consider bids from me 
Mm-hmm. And they, they said, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so we pitched them um, uh, three, four or five, again, paintings that could be made into prints. And I just whipped the paintings together over like three week period. So you these know? were not of the so ones they, in the hall. They were the ones in the hall. Okay. And they didn't exist. I did them solely for that purpose, <laughs> thinking, knew the rooms, knew what I painted downstairs, figured they'd make a, I'd do something complimentary. Yeah. You know, and they went for it. So wow. I ended, we ended up having to do, like, they have like three, what, 300 rooms there? Yeah. And there's three or four prints in every suite or room. So wow. It was, it took another year just to. That's amazing. And it was, it was expensive to do it too. We had to invest in, um, actual like new machines. Wait, wait, no, you prints. actually printed them. I found a G clay printer, but he, and he agreed to do it without, you know, over the phone. Cause I had to like get this bid in right away. And I had to have somebody lined up to do it. They said, okay. so I did that. Yeah. And he was like, sure, I'm in. And, but he, he didn't have enough, he didn't have the right equipment to do it, to do large prints. And, 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 and you had to, we had to adhere them onto board. And we cut, oh, we cut the board to goodness. fit, adhere them onto it, <laughs> frame it. Wow. Get it on the wall, like soup to nuts, the whole thing. Wow. Like they just wanted them done. They wanted them on the wall. That oh, was I, it. I didn't realize all that. Wow. That's yeah, it was cool. incredible amount of work. That's cool. <laughs> wow. So um, a lot of time goes into social media and teaching and classes and your family. How do you find time to be in solitude and just connect to yourself and your painting? Is it hard or do you schedule it? Well, I'm in, I go to the studio every day. You do? Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, there you go. it's up to me if I, it's my fault if I don't, uh, yeah. If you, you get know, on, social. if I get off, if you get well, off track. Yeah. yeah. How do you handle social media? I mean, it's hard to keep up with a website and you're doing, I mean, you do a lot of writing Yeah. still for Art New England mm-hmm. and I'm not sure what else. Yeah your own blog other blogs sometimes so yeah it, it it can be but i those things i tend to do like at the last minute under great pressure <laughs> under pressure i that's hear you that's the best you. way to work the best way to do it i hear you i learned it as a newspaper writer you know it's, i was I, i'd be the guy in the office up all night because the deadline was tomorrow morning but i'd love it love it you Jeez. do your best stuff situations like that right funny so tell me a little bit about your teaching and um, where people could find you your teaching I think you do a few weekly things and when is it you want to impart to your students I like to I do like to teach um, and my ideal student is somebody who uh, is fearless and uh, willing to try uh, willing to fail as and um, Willing to make lots of starts, <laughs> mm. uh, but who, you know, um, I, I, I want, I want my students to find their own voice. I want my students to discover what they have to say. Really yeah. is what I, I want. Not so much um, to paint like me or to paint a particular way or to teach a particular style. And I do teach that stuff. I mean, I teach this. I teach my style. I teach the techniques I know. I teach composition. Um, but I really want to teach people to fall in love with painting as a vehicle of self-expression mm-hmm. you know as the to go down the same rabbit hole that I've gone down and it, it's never ending I mean it's <laughs> the more you learn the more you, there is to learn yeah <laughs> um, it, it, the, the, the best the the thing that the, that you really the place you really want to be is to be excited about what the, pa- the next painting is going to look like mm-hmm. right? you don't know yet you don't know what the next painting is going to look like um, because you don't know who you're going to be Mm. at the time of painting it that's mm. when you know you're really in the group you know? yeah you're, that's when you're painting from the heart painting from from uh, from from intuition rather than the you know the purely rational uh, and you have to take risks so I like to I like to, I try to push my students to take risks um, I try to try to push them to think for themselves mm. uh, and because I mean I learned aside from the few workshops I took I taught myself to do it and I don't I, I think that anybody can do that Hmm. I'm not special in that way, you know. Everybody can, can. Well, then, would you say you had a lot of natural ability? Because I don't think so. I think I, I think I was, I was passionate about it. Because I put a lot of time in as a writer, you know. In a way, yeah. I'd kind of been working that creative uh, muscle. Hmm. I, I, I knew, I knew something about 
accessing my own creativity mm -hmm. so that when it came to painting, I immediately just started doing that through the paint. And it was a matter of, I had to learn the technical stuff mm -hmm. to teach myself that I had to catch up. And I felt so like how do you, what do you think there. about that? Because obviously you're impressionistic, somewhat abstract. Do you feel like someone has to go back and learn those basics, the fundamentals? Of I don't think so. No, I think you can learn them on the way. Hmm. I think okay. having something to say is the most important thing. And by having something to say, I don't mean like you know what your mission is. It's just that you feel passionately and that uh, about getting into getting in the paint and hmm. making it express something real hmm. and authentic. So not necessarily, you know, following a formula, not necessarily know making the perfect painting or what you think is going to sell but what feels authentic mm. you know what feels honest yeah you know what are you really seeing why are you doing this really <laughs> you know yeah you can if you ask yourself those questions you can get to a place of, of where that feels genuine right it really feels like it's yours and yeah. it's a, and it becomes a personal project that will last the rest of your life yeah that's what I found like and then people's opinions don't matter that much. You know, you ask me like, what do people, what do you say to people don't get it? Well, I just feel like I'm on my own thing and mm -hmm. that's fine if they don't get it. <laughs> why should they have to <laughs> right. get it? But it's, it's, it's sufficient unto itself because I'm, I'm in it. Yeah. I'm swimming in it, you know, and that's, that's just where I want to be. <laughs> Watch the gulls. But yeah. where do you see yourself in five years? What's happening? Well, I mean, ideally, um, I'd love to get a good gallery uh, in, in, a, in a big city to take me on um, that could be with me for the longer haul. Um, I have I, I mean great galleries and I've been very lucky and and yet I feel as though I'm going in a different direction now uh, that's maybe challenging for some of these markets. Um, like I don't know how you know Moby Dick tar paintings would sell in Portsmouth. You know, <laughs> I tried them in Provincetown and they did all right. Yeah. Uh, but my fantasy is to have a gallery that I can I can go down to like once or twice a year and have like great shows and sell a whole lot of work and they these galleries like put a lot of time in and nurturing the, yeah. the career you yeah. know like a symbiotic relationship where um, they could say hey Chris there's this group show in you know San Diego for you know environmental yeah. aware painters we think you'd be a great fit and they could send me that that raises mm. my profile in their world with help which helps my sales with them sure. you know that kind of relationship where if they could find a a small cadre of collectors yeah. who were because like i said i don't think i'm ever going to have a mass audience but it'd be great if i had a few people who were really loved and understood what i did you know yeah. and a, a good gallery can find those people and nurture yeah. those relationships. Yeah. How do you, how would you find a gallery? I have no clue. No clue. It seems like the people I talk to, everybody seems to say it's, there's no formula. It's kind yeah. of like everybody has to invent it yeah. again, like their mm -hmm. own way as if it was never done before. Yeah. Okay. Tell us where everybody can find some of your work and your website. My website's just ChristopherVolpe.com. Okay. And there's a, um, the top tab is recent work and you can see the loomings uh, series and nature mort series and then um, additional uh, uh, groupings of landscapes and clear, clear paintings there and there's also a tab for teaching and what galleries can they go to um, kennedy gallery in portsmouth bowersock gallery in provincetown um, Tabanita gallery in gunquit not in portsmouth but in gunquit um, and also the uh, shore road gallery in gunquit and those are my main galleries at the moment. All right. So now we're going to spring this on the audience. Okay. We got something coming up. Yes. It's going to be really big, really cool, and really awesome. Tell them about it. <laughs> well, you're being uh, foolish enough to give me the, uh, the airtime to just blather on about art uh, that I love. So great. Um, we're going to do a periodic art history podcast. Uh, I don't know exactly what we're calling it, but it, the idea is it's art history for artists, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to share what I've learned uh, over the years, teaching art history in colleges and reading about it uh, and um, feeling passionate about it, but also, but more, more from the, from the uh, point of view of 
uh, the artist of a creative individual like in other words what how can how can the artists of the past serve us as contemporary painters today you know what can we learn from them what can we take from them um so understanding yeah their historical moment and their their importance to the overall you know curve of art history but really also trying to get into the artist's head and find out, sort of ask a question, why did they paint the way they did? What informed the choices that, let's say, Turner was making? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can we internalize some of that and bring it out in our own work? So that is cool. the hope. Okay, so if you have any thoughts on what you'd like to hear Chris talk about, or the format you might have in mind, it's still under development. My guess is it will air in January. Sounds good. If not sooner, we'll see what happens. But send us a note. Yeah, send ideas. If there's an artist or um, a period that you're particularly interested in hearing more about, give us a shout. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Talk later. If you found inspiration from today's show, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and share it with a friend or two on social media. Also, take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes or share your takeaways from today's show on artistsofnewengland.com under today's episode. And while you're there, you'll find links to the topics mentioned in today's show. And don't forget to peruse the growing library of podcasts and resources. Thanks for listening. you got beauty to share with the world that no other human has. So get in the ring and pick up that brush.